The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. People that comes in is Satan. And if you like, this scene is the way that the Old Testament likes to describe the way that God rules the world. It's sort of like trying to put, how does God rule the world? You know, somebody has to ask you that question. Well, I'm not sure. Well, this scene or this picture gives some indication. Oh, that's how he does it. So God's on his throne and he's talking to people and he's sending out his directives. Okay, so it gives us some sort of understanding. And it's almost like God is doing this, but when it comes to Satan, it's like he's having a bit of a one-to-one. He's having a little chat. Hey, hang on, what are you up to? What have you been doing? Where have you been? Where have you come from? And so he's asking him these questions. And in this business of going about ruling the world or ruling the universe, it, you have, have you seen the film Bruce Almighty? It's a bit of a silly film, but it, it's worth it only from this one point. It's a guy who basically takes on ruling the universe and he gets himself into all sorts of hiccups and troubles. And it's not, it's not a particularly religious or particularly helpful film in every way, I admit to that. However, the point of ruling the universe and us having a go, he does give an insight into this. So in the film, the guy has to answer prayer requests that are coming up on his computer. And like one or two pop up, you know, like, oh, I can answer that, I can do that. Yeah, I'll say yes to that. And then, of course, when you start filtering in the people of the universe, the messages are coming in and coming in and coming in and coming in, and his computer is just getting loaded and loaded. So in the end, he just says, yes to all. Which, of course, is a bit stupid, because as the film goes on, to point out. Anyway, but God is ruling the universe. He's dealing with all things. And here is Satan, and he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? In effect, God's saying, he's a really great guy. I love him. He's a great guy. Now, Satan, his name means accuser. Accuser. And that's exactly what we see him do as we come into what he says. Because Satan replies to this statement, well, of course, he's only like that because of the way you treated him. Of course, of course he's like that. Look at the way you blessed him. Look at the finances you've given him. Look at the animals you've given him. Look at all the family. Look at how everything, everything's perfect. So, of course, his life is perfect. He's going to be like that, isn't he? You're always helping him. You're always blessing him. So, of course, he has the reason to fear you. That's the point that Satan has made. But, he goes on to say, you take all his stuff away, he'll curse you to your face. All right then, says God. I give you permission to test him. I give you permission. But, and it's interesting, notice this but, but God says, but there is a limitation to how far you can go. You can't touch him physically. So, the problem with the book, really, when we've got into reading it into this point, is that many people start saying, God, what on earth are you doing? 
You're supposed to be looking after everything. You're supposed to be making sure everything is nice. You're supposed to be making sure everything is working out for me and that I'm all softly wrapped up in cotton wool and life is beautiful and I don't have anything to worry about. But that isn't what is happening here. And you see, this is the issue of this book. This book is really raising the question, God, is it you that causes all suffering? Is it you... Is everything down to you? So the question that is being raised is why does God allow good people to suffer bad things? And that is a question that we are interested in. It is a question that we're interested in. But you know what? This book doesn't really deal with that question. So there's a bit of annoyance. Start up right at the front. However, at the end of this book, in the epilogue, we seal the real question that is being answered by this book. And the real question is this. Is God just or not? Is God just? Does he make the right decisions? Does he make fair decisions or not? And that's what this book seeks to help us with. Does God keep to his truthfulness, his fairness? Does he keep to his character in all that he does? Or doesn't he? Right at the end of Job, Job 40, verses 6 and 8, is where this particular understanding comes in. And there it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man, I will question you. Because up until this point in the book, Job has been questioning God. And you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? So the justice, is God just or not, is really the question that we're looking at. Does God really run the whole universe according to his justice, or doesn't he? Now, of course, we like things to be logical. We like them to be straightforward. And as you can see, with this, that is not the case. What we want to know is why do we face rubbish things? Why do bad things happen to us? Why do miserable things, why do challenging things happen to us? Because if we face these things, then surely that means that God is being unjust to us. It means that he's punishing good behaviour, basically good behaviour, and that's not with bad things, and that's not the way it should be. But you know, when you stop and you think about Jesus, just for a moment, and we look at his life, We see there the most righteous person, the one who was without sin, and yet we see him going through the most awful suffering that he, in the end, might gain a great salvation for every one of us. Now, I'm not saying that is an answer. I'm just putting forth a situation where actually we see there is something that suffering can also produce that we do not understand. The book of Job wants us to see a bigger picture, showing us that there are really many things that we really do not understand or that we do not have answers for. And I have to say, at the end of the book, it doesn't mean to say that we're going to end up with a clear understanding. Oh, now I do understand everything. But the one thing the book does point us to is this, is that our God is over every situation. He's over everything. And that is something which Kevin, in effect, has already reminded us about, that we can take confidence in because God 
is over all. So with the first testing, God says very well, everything he has, everything he has is in your hands. That's what he says to Satan. But on the man himself, you mustn't lay a finger. So let's read on. Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 22. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the older brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were ploughing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. That's not good news. While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, this is not a good day. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their older brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell down to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, it says, Job did not sin by blaming God. This is a totally horrendous scene, and one that we would not want anybody here to be going through. From the point of view that everything of Job's world, everything around him, everything that he felt was worth living for, everything that was about his life, what he did with his time, you know, all of those things, they've gone. They've gone. They're finished. Not only are they finished, they're destroyed. What does interest me, and just take this as a sign, you see that it was Satan who was given, Job was given into Satan's hands, and you see what Satan does. He uses people to bring destruction. The Sabians and the Chaldeans came and stole all the cattle. He can use, it would appear, the weather systems to affect it. It was the wind that came and blow down, blow, blew down the house of the older, of the older son. And also it says the fire of God. When it says the fire of God, what it means is that fire came from heaven. So there's some spiritual thing. A fire came down and it burnt up all the sheep. Now I just say that, we don't understand everything, but you know what, when things happen in this world, oh, that was a terrible storm. I mean, there have been terrible storms across parts of of the world, uh, snow, storms, and all that sort of problem, and people have been killed because of that. Now, we can blame the weather and blame God straight away, But it's interesting that this book does give us some insights into the spiritual realm and things that happen in the spiritual realm. So I just say that as a part of, uh, in passing. Yet with all of this horror and grief, and and you can't even begin to imagine, I mean, how do you process those waves? Like the first wave, oh my goodness, okay, I've lost the camels, but I'm okay with the sheep. You know, or that's how you might think, because that's what we do. We we try to box it up and and check everything and make sure we can cope with what we've got. But here we're finding, like, everything's gone. Your world, as you know it, has just completely collapsed. 
What are you going to do? And what do we find Job doing? He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. It was the Lord who gave me these things. It is the Lord who takes them away. Blessed be his name. And I, to be honest with you, I think, how does he say that? How does he say that? And there's a challenge to us, but it shows that when God was saying, here is a God-fearing man, that is what he was. He was a God-fearing man, and he kept that understanding of God before him. Just as another aside, it's interesting, in, John, in the New Testament, in John 10.10, we read this, and this is what Jesus says about Satan. He says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And don't we see that? That's exactly what Satan did here. He came and he stole. He came and he killed. He came and he destroyed. Because that is his character. That is what he does in our lives. That is his intent towards us. And that is exactly what he accomplished. But of course, this is what Jesus says. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. And we need to hold on to the truth of what we understand that we find in Jesus Christ and, not only, and certainly not be intimidated by what we can see takes place with the enemy. Okay, so we've got to that point. Now we return and we return again to our heavenly courtroom scene. Now we're not sure how much time has elapsed. Some people consider this could be a whole year later. Some people consider it could be just fairly shortly afterwards. We don't know that. But it's interesting just to hold that thought when you're reading it. Oh, I wonder how much time did. Because if you've got to put yourself in the position of this guy and what he's going through, you want to try to empathise with how he's feeling and what's going on with his life. He's basically just coming to terms, coming to terms with the complete destruction of who he was, of who he was, or rather of what other people thought he was at that point. Now when that happens, here we're back in the heavenly courtroom scene and we're reading on. Job chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. Now, at this point, I wonder if God was saying like, you see what I mean? Good on you, Job. You've done a great job. Look at his attitude of that. Hang on in there. Have you considered my servant Job? Relationship with God comes out of our hearts towards him. It's not about what we own. It's not about what other people think we own are about, or whether they think we have authority, or how great we are, or what social position we have. Relationship with God comes from our hearts to him. And that's what we see with Job, a man who had relationship with God. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. There's a cry of, yay, from the angels, I think, around that heavenly courtroom at that point. Ah, oh, but it's skin for skin. Skin for skin, Satan said. A man will give all he has for his own life, 
but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands. But, another boundary marker is put down, you cannot take his life. In this second scene, God is asking Satan again, have you considered Job? Yes, I have. You know, he's a great guy. He's hung on in there. This is great. He's maintained his honor of me. But of course, Satan's saying, well, of course, this is is completely understandable. Well, actually, it's not understandable because he's been through so much grief. But he's saying like, well, okay, he's hung on in there then. But listen to this. Everybody wants to protect themselves. Everybody wants to protect their own health. Everybody wants to protect their own lives. So I tell you what, allow me to touch his actual physical body and then he's going to curse you to his face. Okay. So God allows this to happen and Satan goes ahead with what is our second testing. Job chapter 2, verses 7 to 10. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Well, first of all, it's all of his wealth and all of his family and all of those things. And now our righteous man, Job, is covered over his body with painful sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. We are giving, being given a picture of a man who is utterly crushed, utterly crushed. And obviously, there's an indication of that, that he's just sitting in the ashes. It's almost like I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nothing else to do. I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to try to think this through. I'm going to try to do something. He's sitting there in the ashes, broken. He's in constant pain. There's one thing for us to have lose things, but when it starts to affect yourself, you start thinking only about yourself. I'm in this pain. It's almost that becomes the priority. He is in complete pain, and he's sitting there in this ash, and he's trying to get some relief from this itching and the pain that he's got on his body by scraping himself with a piece of pottery. How does he feel? I think it's genuinely difficult for us really to say, oh, I know how he feels. Because truly, we haven't been in the same position. But we can feel the magnitude, and that's what I'm trying to build here. I want us to feel the magnitude of the loss that he has come upon. These are his children that are gone. This is all his wealth that's gone. And as far as the world and the system of the world, or certainly the the environments which we live in, it's a lot of, we gain a lot from what other people give to us in respect. Oh, they're a good person. Hey, they've done well for themselves. That gives you some accreditation. It gives you. What does the Bible always tell us? It tells us that we should only find our true strength, our true identity in him who watches over us. That's what it tells us is our relationship and our understanding of our relationship with God is the primary thing. It's the primary thing. Now, it doesn't go into this in this passage, but it is true. You can see it there because Job is standing there and he is refusing to curse God. We see Job's wife. I have some sympathy 
Now, I know from Scripture, what does it say? It says that, are you still holding on to your integrity? She says, curse God and die. Which basically means, I've had enough. Now, if you were married to Job, ladies, think of your husband. You know, your husband, who's maybe in this case, he's the breadwinner, maybe you are, maybe you're both out to work, but let's just your he is the supplier of the home, let's say. And he's the one who helps us, you know, let's decorate the house. Yes, of course you could have a new kitchen. I'm talking generally, I'm not talking to my wife at this point, okay? <laughs> just in case she gets any ideas. Yes, you can have a new sofa, that's it. This is the thing that's going on, that's usual family business, and that's how, and all of that's gone. And so she has got the right hump, basically. This guy I married, what's he come up with? And she's so fed up with everything, because... Actually, I do have sympathy for her because she's lost her home. She's lost her children. She's lost the respect of the whole community. Okay, she's still got her health. But Job calls her a stupid woman, a foolish woman. You're a foolish woman. Why? Because the other thing that she'd lost was her respect of God. She'd lost that divine connection. She'd lost that understanding that he is actually over all. And her husband still had that. Hence the rebuke that she gets from uh, Job. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So in other words, up until this point, boy, we've been living a good life. Everything's been going my way. I'm sure that comes from a song somewhere, but we won't <laughs> sing it right now. Everything's been going my way. Zippity-doo-dah, that's it. And, but now, everything hasn't been going my way. Now it's going. But you know what? We can't be in a life where we say we only accept the good and we don't accept the bad. Hello? My, my interpretation is that I only really want to live in the good, thank you. I, I want to live on this side. If it's okay with everybody else, sorry for those that have to nip over to that side for a while. I'd like to stay on this side because where it's all fine and dandy and everything's all holding together and lovely stuff, that's where I want to stay, that's where I want to be involved in. But going over here, no, 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 I don't think I like that. But Job is saying this, listen, when it comes to God, we have to understand this. Can we only accept good from him? Can we only accept good from him and not accept things that cause us trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin. In both of these tests, we see that Job comes through still honouring, still worshipping. Now that's the key thing. He's still worshipping God. He's still respecting and uplifting the name of the Lord. And that, if you like, leads us into this book. And in one sense, I can't go too much further here because we want to start to unpack this a little bit more. Not next week, but the week after. But it gives us some of the feeling of angst that there is that comes upon us when we're thinking like, hang on, why should horrible things happen to good people? And we don't know. Job's a good guy. Well, he seems a good guy to us. Why not? He's behaving himself. He's respecting God. But we have also seen what has happened in that heavenly courtroom. And we have also understood that Satan has come against him. But remember, this book is not going to answer the question, why is there suffering? But instead, this book is seeking to help us look at this question. Does God, in fact, run the universe according to his justice or not? That's the question that it looks at. Now, I've got a few points just to uh, remember, if you like, from this. 
First of all this, we need to remember that we have an enemy called Satan. Because we just take life for granted. Now, I'm not saying that in every circumstance, oh, I missed the bus, that's Satan. <laughs> you know, they gave me a cappuccino instead of a latte, that's Satan. You know, these sorts of things. We can't go into all of those places. However, we're foolish in life if we do not consider the fact that we have an enemy who wants to do what? Kill, steal, destroy. What does Jesus want to bring? Life. Now, sometimes that life is in the here and now. In fact, always, when we're saved, we are embracing that life in the here and now. But can I just point out to you, the true hope of every believer is that that life is not only for the here and now. That life is for the here and after. That is the point that we need to get hold of. That is the source of our joy. Is that actually, it's almost the case of, it doesn't matter what you throw at me here, because I am going to be with Jesus forever. And he is my security. And we need to remember that. So let's just remember this simple point. We do have an enemy. Our enemy is Satan. And he is an accuser. He is an accuser. He is an accuser of you, your reputation, what you think of yourself. He accuses you in your mind. And he uses other people to do his work as well. That's what happens. So what do we need to do in that case? We need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. We need to keep looking to him. Second point, this is what scripture tells us. And these are not... I'm not trying to paint easy stuff here because this is not an easy subject. But I am trying to point out scriptures that help us to be challenged and to lift us up. Scripture says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. And it simply says this, Be joyful always. Hallelujah. Pray continually. Amen. And give thanks in all circumstances. In every situation. Give thanks in all circumstances because that's a really good idea for you to have a great life. No, it says because that is God's will for you. That's a bit hard hitting. But you see, that is what Job was doing. In the circumstances, the circumstances are weighing me down. I am broken. I am sitting in the ashes. But he's told me to be joyful always. And joy is not about just laughing. Joy is knowing that somehow within you there is a rope that is tied to your soul that goes from here into eternity to be with Jesus. That's what it's about. Being joyful is, oh, I feel that rope that connects me to heaven. He is here. His presence is here. And that gives me strength of where I'm at. Be joyful always. Pray continually because prayer is about talking from earth to heaven. Prayer is about building that place. God, I am here in the ashes. And yet I'm asking you to take me up to your glory. It's not just saying like, I don't like this. Why should I have to sit in the ashes? I used to sit on a comfy chair. I used to be able to do this. It's not all of that. But that's an expression sometimes of where we are at and God is big enough to cope with where we are at because he understands who we are. He understands the frailty of our lives. 
But get hold of that rope that's holding you on to heaven and you're going to start praying differently. Lord, I need your help. I need your presence. I need you to come near me. And then he says, but in all circumstances, I want you to give thanks. Father, thank you that you are remaining the same. Thank you that you do not change. Thank you that I can put my trust and my confidence in you. Thank you that I can hold on to you. That's what he says. Now, this is the interesting thing, and I think it's interesting as we're looking at this book, how can God say that when rubbish is coming against us? If he wasn't overall. It's because he's sovereign. Now, do we understand everything? Let's start talking about the things we don't understand. I don't understand why we're praying for these people who are sick. I don't understand why a child has got cancer. I don't understand why this. I don't understand why the migrants are falling into the water. I don't understand this. Nor do I. But in heaven, there is one who is supreme. And he is eternally just, eternally loving. Sometimes he draws people to be with himself. It's time to come. Let's just make sure that we're holding on to that rope of hope in our lives. Romans 8 verse 28, just one other scripture, or not just one other, I just want to share this with you. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's what the word says. God works in those situations. Listen, I must remind you of this. Trouble should not shock us. Trouble is not a shock. Why do I say that? Well, it is. I hate trouble. I actually got a slight nagging pain in my tooth here today. Hmm. That is trouble. Could be. No, because the Lord is going to help me because I really don't like the dentist. But anyway, that's another thing. Trouble is not a shock. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. Okay? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Talk about lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Paul, I just want to leave you with Paul's personal comment. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians 8, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we faced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life, indeed in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, he's not Job. We know Paul got persecuted. We know Paul suffered. You can read all about that. And there's a degree of us understanding that suffering comes, and we don't understand it all. But this we know. Look what he's saying. Hey, hang on a second. I was, I was in so much trouble that actually I feared I was going to die. Why did that happen? It happened because of this. Because God was saying to me, I don't want you to be trusting in yourself. I want you to be trusting in me. Because I'm the one who's on the other end of that rope, drawing you from earth into eternity. And I will remain secure. So I want us to remain these th- remain with these things and be encouraged with them. We're going to sing the song, that new song that we sang this morning. And I hope you learnt it first time through because what we want to do here is to raise up a shout to our God.
Now this is what, say, hang on, do you remember? Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance. Why? Because over everything, over everything is God. Over everything is God. But I don't understand. No, nor do I. I don't know how you're going to do it. No, nor do I. But you know, faith isn't about us knowing. Faith is about God doing. That's what it is, and us trusting. We're not in control with faith. God is in control. He does the work. We have to submit to him, which is why we don't like it, okay? That's why we want to run away from it. Because we want control, because it builds security. We don't have that security. But what we can do this morning as a church together, and on behalf of Steve, is to raise up a shout. On behalf of Angie, to raise up a shout. To raise up a shout against the enemy. And to say, we're having none of this. We're having none of this. Because our God is over all, and he is sovereign. Let's stand up together. What? When we're, when we're singing like that, I'm not asking anybody to try to throw away emotion and come to a place of just like, oh, that seems to be stupidity. I'm challenging us with what the Word of God tells us to do. That in the midst of difficulties, we look to Jesus and we do what he has asked us to do. In the midst of trials and things that we don't understand, we're looking to take hold of the rope of eternity that has been connected to our lives and will lead us right the way through that we can connect with heaven and draw heaven to earth.